welcome to the Fresh Expressions Podcast Season 3. I'm your host, Heather Jalad. I'm a local church pastor and a cultivator of Fresh Expressions, new faith communities that strive to reach new people in unexpected places. In Season 3, we're opening our archive of a decade of useful training materials and sharing some of the talks and workshops that have inspired us over the years. This season is brought to you by FX Connect. FX Connect is an online community of church leaders who are reaching new people in new places and where you can find an entire library of practical and inspiring training materials. You can register for free today at fxconnectus.org. We are back with another episode of the Fresh Expressions podcast. Today's episode features Alan Roxborough, or as we Americans say, Roxburg. Uh, this episode, Al talks about missional hospitality, and I know you'll appreciate it and be challenged by it for a number of reasons. Um, Al lives in Vancouver, Canada, enjoys hiking, biking, cooking, and drinking coffee, which is probably um, a favorite pastime up there in the Northwest. Um, Al uh, really reframes and continues to reframe, help reframe our understanding of the mission of God, its disruptive nature, and how it should impact the people of God in the church and how we go about mission. Uh he argues that God's spirit is fermenting a movement of God's people that can no longer be contained with narratives of renewal, return, or reform, or, re or fixing existing systems. He argues that ours is a time of refounding. Now, I know that my first encounter with Al was in a book that I read in seminary um, almost uh, more than a decade and a half ago now, I guess, uh, which was Missional Map Making, its subtitle being Skills for Leading in Times of Transition. And man, that sounds pretty poignant for our time now, um, doesn't it? Uh, this liminal space that we find ourselves in as the church. Another one of uh, my favorites of Al's is uh, Structured for Mission, Renewing the Culture of the Church. Uh, in this talk, uh, Al comments on how uh, our cultural norms of individuality and separation have uh, constructed these realities of our own spaces and places. And um, and, and the Western world in particular uh, expresses this separation from in so many ways, even commenting on how our subdivisions are um, developed and created our houses with uh, garages we drive into and um, don't get out of our cars and never have to see our neighbors and go out on our back porches and don't know their names or never really interact with them. This, this separation from. He says that the anxiety of modernity is control. We want to control. Uh, we desire to control. And that certainly impacts our methods of mission and um, being in the world today as God's people. I think the turning point for me in this talk was uh, what what when Al says that we need to move from our sense of um, 
other for those outside of our control to finding spaces where we receive hospitality as the other. I know you'll find this talk challenging. I'd love to continue the conversation around it on the fxconnectus.org site. We have a place for groups there. And if you click on groups, you can go to the FX podcast, continue the conversation. You can ask questions over there, comment on the different episodes that you're listening to and engage with one another. Have a listen and enjoy this talk from Al Roxborough on missional hospitality. I'm walking around Alexandria, and uh, part of my um, mischievousness is to always observe what I'm seeing and what's going on. And I noticed that there's been a, a huge amount of new building, particularly toward Old Town and down toward the, the river. And, and th- those buildings, wherever I walked, all have the same kind of design to them. They tend to be either condos or apartments uh, or townhouses which are uh, two to three to four stories in height. And when you look at them, uh, what's evident is that you can actually drive along the street in your bubble and as you get to where you live, you press a button and a door goes up and you go inside and then from inside you go into your house and functionally you actually never need to meet another human being. Um, and uh, so, so that is part of the, the built, constructed reality that we are often a part of. Or if I go to a suburb, um, what I recognize is that, uh, and this, this is all stuff you know, is that uh, life in the suburb is, is constructed to not only put us into our backyards, which are fenced and private, but uh, the more affluent you are, you go from a one car to a two car to a three car garage because you need those multiple vehicles so these expressive individuals can go and do the things that they need to do. And when you go into those constructed realities, you discover that increasingly there is this differentiation in which each person, after the kitchen and whether it's the living room or what's now called the grand room, uh, has their own space. Uh, So if it's a, since I'm talking to evangelicals, if it's a nuclear family, uh, you know, focus on your family kind of family, right? Uh, Which actually hardly ever existed, but anyway. uh, If it's one of those families, Uh, She has her space, he has his space, Uh, Junior has his space, Junior S has her space. Uh, All spaces are constructed around individuality and separation. And if you go into each of their spaces, you you discover that each of them these days have their own uh, cell phones, their own iPods, pads, TVs that... So this is the constructed reality that shapes us. And uh, again, very, very briefly, my conviction is that um, we actually construct worlds 
that reflect our deepest beliefs about the nature of reality. And so most of the time, most of us live in a constructed world that screams separation from, keep away from, and the self as the primary expression of meaning. And as I say to students when I teach this, I, for example, I, I, when I teach theology, I don't teach theology in a classroom. I go into a city and I get on a train and I begin to work with constructed reality and saying, okay, what are the views of God going on here? Okay? And then I say to my students after they look at this, so you, you get these people for two hours a week and you are going to do a series on community and hospitality. Who are you kidding? Or, as I said in another, um, <clears throat> in another pace, and I notice this now wherever one goes, you go into most uh, constructed living spaces, I won't call them neighborhoods, and you s always see a sign. This is a neighborhood watch community, or something of that ilk, okay? Which fundamentally means the folk who live here, while most of them look the same, actually have no capacity or time to get to know each other. They are, in fact, strangers. But the one thing these strangers will do is that they will come together if somebody different enters into this community. And the basic thing they will do is call the police. So this is the contextual reality in which most, and let me be very specific here, Euro-tribal white folk live. I'm looking at the room with apologies to those that don't fit that category. Am I making sense? So what does hospitality mean and what does hospitality look like? It sh it, 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 the other thing to finish is that uh, if your churches are like mine, um, most of the time, these folk pretty much look the same dress the same, waggle the same, vote the same, okay? So that's the world we're living in. So what's hospitality got to do with all of that? So let me tell you a story. I am, uh, I wrote about this in one of my books, but I'm in the Lake District in England, and um, I've been there a couple of weeks, and I'm writing a book, and I wander into the pub that I've been hanging out in, get a good beer, sit in a corner, light a cigar, which you can do over there. That's good news. Light a cigar. <laughs> and sit back. And just as I do that, this crowd of young adults come in. And as they begin to speak, they're, they're, they're German. In the middle of them is this short guy who should never, ever wear shorts, <laughs> in there with shorts and a backpack on. And he, he, he's a Geordie. He, he's from Yorkshire. And he's standing around in this pub where I'm sitting. And they, they are now invading my personal space. And he says, ah, he says, here's what it's all about. He says, someone comes, knocks at door. You let him in. And you don't ask them what they want. And you give them food and you give them bed for three days. Now he says, 
that's hospitality. And I went, holy crap. This guy, this is the Bible, right? Because you see, hospitality is about the capacity to welcome the stranger. But to welcome the stranger in a certain kind of way. That is your home. Now, now I, I do understand in the canons in the Old Testament, there's a lot of pieces that are put around this, but I get to this, is that you welcome the other into your space and you provide the other with the food, the lodging, the table, the conversation. And the rule is, it's for three days. And you don't ask them why or what or where they're going. And that begins to get to the core of hospitality. Now the reason that you welcome the stranger in the biblical context is not only that uh, the, um, that area of the Middle East is fairly inhospitable, and that when you're out on the road, um, it's hard to survive. That's not the only reason. The reason in the biblical narratives why you welcome the stranger goes back to another story, which is remember Abraham and Sarah, okay? And remember the three angels, three angels, the three, the three strangers who come to visit them. There's a very, very famous um, fifth or sixth century art by Rubeloff, um, which is all about this. And I'll, I'll, I should have put the, the image up, but I'll get back to this in a sec. Here's what these ancient Aburu understood, is that when the stranger comes, you never know when God comes. That in the stranger, God is coming and God is present. And part of the reason for welcoming the stranger and providing hospitality is that in that person's and in their presence, you just never know when God's going to turn up. And that's the likely place where God's going to turn up. And when God turns up in that way, you're going to get messed with. Because Abraham and Sarah got messed with. Right? Or take the Emmaus Road story, where yeah, these two people, we know the name of one, we don't know the name of the other, and if you ever have to write New Testament papers, you can ask, now why is this person named the disciple when he wasn't amongst the twelve, and where you can get into all that nonsense. Um, and they, these are folk who are now leaving Jerusalem utterly dejected. Um, everything they've pinned their life on has been taken away from them in the crucifixion. And there are these strange rumors of something going on, but they're not dependable because women have said it. And so they now have basically given up, and they're heading to Emmaus, I guess. And you remember this stranger joins them? Well, again, if you are familiar with how these, this, these these scriptures work, stranger joining them is not just stranger joining them. There's way more going on when stranger joins. And remember, the stranger, the stranger does all kinds of things. The stranger, in one sense, sounds like a Presbyterian teaching elder. You know, 
you stupid people, don't you understand? All da, 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 da. And the teaching elder goes at it all the way to Emmaus, and it, it just doesn't sink in, right? Which it never does, <laughs> teaching elders. And, um, and, and it's only when the stranger is provided and given hospitality and in the breaking of bread that their eyes are opened. So this practicing hospitality is huge. Okay? Let me put a couple of other things together and then I'll stop. Um, it, is, it is very easy for us in a North American context to turn this into another project. The way to be a really good Fresh Expressions Church is to practice hospitality because when you practice hospitality, here's what happens and then people come and then we can do a video of how good we are. Um, the, um, the, um, and secondly, practicing hospitality in the biblical narratives is just not about, um, how, do, how do I say this properly? With a pro it's not about figuring out who's the poor sucker out there that, that needs help, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but that, that's not what's going on in hospitality. Here's what's going on. The, the critical image in hospitality, Old and New Testament, is about the other. That person or persons who are different from us and the other. And as René Girard has pointed out in so many different ways, tribally, what we want to do is get rid of the other, because they're a threat. What we want to do in modernity is turn the other into us. So very often our notions of hospitality are really methods of objectification of the other. And to the extent to which we get rid of the other or turn the other into us, we actually render ourselves incapable of hearing what God is doing and who God is. Does that make sense? Um, come on in. Do uh, you want to come in or just want to hang out? Oh, just hang out, you're fine. Um, so, so let me put it in this way. There, there was a, there, there's a, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the, the, French, uh, the, the French rabbi, philosopher, midpoint of the last century called Emmanuel Levinas. Are you familiar with that name? Okay, good. Uh, Levinas was actually one of, the, one of the greatest of French philosophers of the 20th century. Uh, most of us who, most of us who like to talk funny language about post this, post that, um, we love to think about people like Derrida and Foucault and all of this. And you go over to Europe and you sit with philosophers and they look at you and go, why are you bothering with these people? And I go, oh, because North Americans love groovy ideas like post. <coughs> Levinas was not one of those people. Levinas was like so many other Jews, the sole survivor of the Holocaust. And, um, but obviously an intellectual and a teacher and a rabbi. 
And coming out of the Holocaust, he, he had to ask a question. And the question was this, Hitler, how do you explain Hitler? Was Hitler, in terms of the modern West, an aberration? Kind of like a, you know, a bent gene? Out of all these gene pools, um, you know, as the great wheel went round, you got this bent gene, and we got Hitler. Now that's one way of explaining it, and it lets us all off the hook. <laughs> or, says Levinas, in terms of the modern West, does it go all the way down? Is it, is it just part of the deep subterranean water that we drink of? And Hitler is not an aberration, but Hitler is us, which is a terrifying question. Levinas said, it goes all the way down, folks. It goes all the way down, which is not a nice thing to receive. And here's what he meant. The anxiety that forms the modern West, for lots of good reasons, and if you want to get into some of this, uh, somebody like uh, Stephen Toulman, who wrote a book called Cosmopolis, can give you some frame for this. Um, the, 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 the anxiety of modernity, as I said there, really comes out of the need to control. And control gets turned into method. This is Descartes. This is his discourse on method. This is a whole pile of Enlightenment philosophers. That, that the way you control your world is through method. And if you get the method right, all will be well. Secondly, Immanuel Kant. Truth is knowable through our human categories. And it is knowable in the sense that those, those things that you can universalize and are applied to everybody is truth. Okay? Method. Truth is universalizable. Thirdly, what happens, this is a lot of stuff, I'm sorry. Thirdly, what happens at the time of both Reformation and Enlightenment and colonization is that the notion of whiteness gets reified. In other words, the measure of all things is white. If you want to read more about this, African-American scholar Willie Jennings at um, Duke uh, can help you with this. You put all those pieces together, and what you get in the West is this. We know the truth. It comes out of us, and we have God's truth, and we universalize it, and we give it to everybody else, and the way we do that is with method. That's what Hitler was up to. Because if you don't function like us, you are the other. And what you do with the other is you put them away. You destroy them. Levinas says this goes all the way down. And so hospitality, with this I'll stop, is this radical, disorienting invitation to actually learn again how to welcome 
the stranger as the other without turning the other into us. And critically, I believe, that capacity to welcome the stranger as the other and not turn the other into us is the only space where we discern and hear what the Spirit is up to. Hospitality. The paradigmatic way for this for me you'll find in Luke 10 where Jesus sends them out into... They're being sent into Galilee of the Gentiles, which means they're going home. They're going back into their own spaces, their own territory. And, and Jesus sends them out, and they, they go with nothing. They go as the other. Right? And, and they can't take with them extra sandal, extra bag, all of that. In other words, they can't take with them their evangelism programs, their bottle of water to give people. They can't take any of that with them. And they've got to go and enter into these spaces and to be received and to be welcomed and to sit at the table of the other. Even to the extent of eating pork from Gentiles. Eat what is set before you. And to join their work and their life. That's the context of hospitality. And what Luke is saying is that in that context of receiving and being the other, you discern and hear what God is up to. And that, I'm going to be pushed this a long way, there is actually no other way of discerning what God's up to in this world today without that move. The fundamental piece here is this. It's not us who give hospitality. We are invited to find the spaces where we receive hospitality as the other. Am I making sense? Yes. Okay. My wife was born middle class. As you might have picked up, I was not. I became a pastor. And I discovered when I became a pastor that we just get, kept getting invited out for dinner all the time. And um, I won't tell you the whole story, but what would happen is my middle-class wife would always get into the car with a gift to take to the people who had invited us. And I kept saying, I, I was a Marxist at one point in my life, I kept saying, why are you doing that? And she said to me, I, I could always tell, the eyes roll, which, which basically means, you poor working-class sucker, you really don't understand, do you? And um, the, uh, I said, why are you doing that? She said, it's the hospitable thing to do. I said, why? You know? Now, once you started bringing my good wine in the car to take to people, <laughs> I got very agitated. Uh, and finally, I turned to her and I said, you are so friggin' middle class. And she looked at me, knowing it was an insult, but not quite understanding why. <laughs> and I said, I said, because here's what you're doing. You're walking into the house of the other and one of the first things you do, whether flowers, chocolates, or my good wine, and you give it to them, you say, here, I am no longer in your debt. And she says, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. <laughs> Hospitality is profoundly and radically different. And so, in this journey that you're a part of with this Fresh Expressions, 
how do you begin to learn to practice that kind of hospitality? That's the transformative. So let me stop. Uh, I could go on all day. Questions, conversation. Yeah. So here's the thing that comes up for me, because um, I'm all about this, this vision of hospitality, and I've um, experienced the directing, and God is most effective in my life, actually, through, through homeless um, individuals who kind of spent his angels that give me different things, right. teach me different things. And um, the, the thing that I, that I love about this is, is but I don't know what to do with a battle that seems inevitable, and given the kind of modern context of control freak, hospitality on the one side and orthodoxy on the other side. This seems like there's an inevitable clash, because if you're going into the space of the other, and you're not going with, you know, well, okay, these are the ground rules, you know, for our conversation, and this is what's allowed, and this is what isn't, what does what does orthodoxy look like? You know, I mean, I want, I want a vision of orthodoxy that's more right glory of God as opposed to right opinion. Well, there you go. Okay. You've answered your question. <laughs> but like, okay. Ah, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. But. <laughs> no, I wanted something to do. <laughs> All right. And, and why is it necessary? Now, let's not go down that road. Okay. I, I, are, you, are, you, are you reformed? No, oh. I mean, I God, you sound reformed. Uh, yeah. I'm Wesleyan, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right. Comments, questions. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about power dynamics in hospitality and, and gift giving? Uh, for example, like your, your wife's exchange. Right. And, and essentially, you could describe that as equalizing the power dynamics because a gift is given rather than, you know, returning the debt. Um, so, what's sort of some of the difference there? I'm not clear on the question. But to me, that's, that is a power dynamic. So um, I guess as we extend or receive hospitality, how do we understand the power in exchange for that? The, it, it, let me see if I'm answering the question, because um, this, this, is, this is tough stuff. Um, learning how to be with the other in a basically on, on the same lane. Um, it, a lot of it is about uh, listening in, in certain kind of ways of creating spaces. Um, there are certain, di well, let, me, let me back up. Um, if you keep thinking about hospitality as, if I put myself here on a line and go, on this side of me, there are people who are poor and all that kind of thing. There's always, there's always going to be power dynamics there. Uh, and in a, in a culture as, as stratified as ours, um, there's always trying to live into that. But let me, well, let me t tell, um, most of the time I do this by telling stories. The, um, I'm, I, so I'm working in Canada with, um, and if this doesn't answer your question, we'll try to do with it later. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm actually invited to an Anglican uh, pastor's retreat just north of Vancouver. So I've got about 50 Anglican priests from northern British Columbia. Um, well, actually about 60. Half of them are, are First Nations people. 
and we're having this conversation just now, and we're talking about how these white Euro tribal churches are so unraveling. And the white clergy say to me, what do we do? And I say to them, one of the first things to do, this is about hospitality and the other, is one of the first things to do is to actually discern about you those people who've lived in unraveling and loss of power for a very long time and sit with them and ask them. And these white clergy said to me, where will we find these kind of people? And I said, well, they're actually in the room. And part of the power dynamic there is actually an utter blindness to the other sitting right behind. I don't know whether I'm answering your question or not. Yeah, I just say that sort of redefining yeah. what you need is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. I was just going to tie it on the question. Um, I was going to say that um, part of it is accepting that receiving hospitality can be unsettling or even humiliating, but allowing people, not having that sort of, these are the people I'm allowed to give hospitality to because I'll either get something back or because, um, because I'm above them and these are the people that I should expect hospitality from and not give hospitality to. I mean, I, I love the story of the, the woman who pours the nard over Jesus. She takes on the role of the host. Yeah. The host wasn't doing yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, and it's very upsetting to everybody. A lot of power games going on in that story. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but Jesus allows it, and Jesus yep. kind of holds her up as the person who did right. Yeah. So I think a lot of, of hospitality on both ends is one thing that we do at our Fresh Expression. Um, did you share a very nice video? <laughs> I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> already, already forgotten. Awesome. It, um, it wasn't our video, but um, it was of us. But we, one thing we do is we we actually ask people not to help set up for our dinners for about a month until they have become part of the Yeah, I heard that. Because yeah. it's unsettling yeah. and humiliating yeah. for them, and, and they need to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. I, I uh, sorry. no, sorry, that's fine. I, I went to this church just to let you know that I actually do put my pants on one leg at a time. Uh, I went to this church as a pastor uh, that was just about to close down, 15 to 20, 30 senior citizens, right downtown Toronto, and uh, in, in a gorgeous old neighborhood. And um, there were two things. One was the symbol that kept these 15 to 20 senior citizens going was the kitchen in the church. And there was a padlock on every drawer and every door in that kitchen. And that kitchen was as big as this room because th this church had heydays. The second symbol was that on the outside, it looked like this was a regentrifying community. But what you, when I, I spent a lot of my time hanging out in the neighborhood with people in fairly low-end coffee shops and began to discover all kinds of men who really were living off welfare, whose lives were fragmented and coming apart, and they were being housed in the basements of these regentrifying places, right? Um, so what, what happened was I started getting invited into their space. 
these are these these are some of the power issues. But I got I started getting invited into their space, and um, so you're sitting in a basement area that's being rented out for 800 bucks a month, where w which is just it's like third world, and you can smell sewer and all of that, and you begin to sense where these people live. Um, now, now, the gift for me, where it's not power, I wasn't raised middle class. So I'm kind of at home in those places. Uh, so that's going on, and we're in conversation with each other. And I got this kitchen. So one day, when it's clear, about three months in, that nobody's going to give me the keys to these things, I go in with a crowbar, <laughs> and I just rip the whole stuff off. And... Um, yeah, that had its results, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> and and, and, and here's, here's, what I, here's what I discovered, was that this was... Um, how many Baptists are in this room? Okay. Uh, the, 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 the classic thing about Baptist, Baptists in Canada is that Baptists in Canada were poor working-class immigrants who, by the second generation, their goal in life was to become like the mainline churches. And they got there by about the 1930s or 40s. The, um, these cupboards were packed with the finest English bone china money could buy. And in the drawers was literally the best silverware you could buy, wrapped in this green stuff so it didn't tarnish, with wonderful linen. And so I'm hanging out with these guys. And uh, so what we, what we do is we go, all right, we got small tables that only six or seven could sit around, linen, fine china, and I got a hundred bucks from somewhere, and I went with these guys, and we bought the food, and we went into this kitchen, and we cooked it together. And when you're cooking together in the thing, you get to know each other, right? And then what we did is uh, a couple of nights a week, we kind of opened it up, and here's what you had. You had some of these guys, guys, that's, guys and women, sitting at the table with the head of the math department at the University of Toronto, or a, uh, somebody high up in the administration of the, the province. And conversations start to happen around the table that no planning group could ever have planned. And out of that came all, so that same sort of thing. Uh, that's learning hospitality. But the key thing here is, even when we were doing that, we were still not yet at practicing hospitality. Because actually, practicing hospitality is when you are invited into the space of the other who is not you, right? That's where hospitality starts to happen. I was doing this with, uh, I do this with all over the place, uh, a Chinese congregation, because we have lots of them, Chinese immigrants. And what Chinese immigrants do is what Baptist immigrants did and Presbyterian immigrants did. They congregate around the same, right? And so they basically colonize a neighborhood that they drive into to do church and drive out of. And they start dwelling in scripture, kind of Lectio stuff that we do, and they start reading Luke 10, and they start saying, this is not right, this is not of God. We really need to be present in our neighbor. And some of them moved in, and so what they did, this is again the whole 
for us to pay. What they get did is to say, what some of us are going to do, and th these are not early adopters, what some of us are going to do is we're going to go to the Tim Hortons in our neighborhood, the neighborhood of the church. Now, you know, Tim Hortons is a Canadian thing. In terms of coffee, it's a bottom feeder. It's the most disgusting stuff you could ever have. Uh, but they went, and they sat there, and they got to know people who weren't like them. And you know what they said? That's what they said. They said, on this journey, we are not practicing hospitality until we are invited to sit at the table of the new friends that we are making. That's the journey. And you see, that kind of hospitality, you, you can only have that kind of hospitality when you let go of your need to control the environments, determine the outcomes, and know what the next steps are. Because if you go in with that stuff, there's no hospitality. But if you, if you learn to do that, I can guarantee you will hear the Spirit. Anyway, yeah. Yes, sir. Does the evangelism moment begin when someone trusts us with what hurts in them? Ah. Yeah. Um, I think. I think the beginning of hospitality, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think the beginning of hospitality is when, uh, I think it's, it, it's, a num it's, a, it's a collection of things. It's when, by the Spirit, my eyes are opened to how deeply I am colonized inside a story about us and them. Um, and I only gravitate towards my own. And a recognition that that's real and that's there. And I begin to take some tentative steps in learning how to meet. I think that's the beginning of hospitality. And then it has all kinds of, it invites us into all kinds of other steps along the way. We just, just finished it here, is that, but certainly what, what happens around the table of the other is that we enter what I call the offstage narratives of people. And it's when we enter the offstage narratives of people that we enter the space where the spirit's at work. Um, that, that's how I would describe it. But you, you had another point? Yeah, and I'm trying to say, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I think, you see, I think the moment you get into evangelism in that sense, you're into a whole different narrative.
so great. Why is my life sucked? Yeah, that's great. I love that's wonderful. And then when we go back into our homes, me the Christian, yeah. I look to heaven and go, But God, if you are so great, why is my life sucked? Uh huh. Well, yeah, but again, what we're doing here is, I, I hear what you're doing. What I'm doing is, I'm not going to merge hospitality with evangelism. I have real problems with that. But, so let me, let me address it in a different way. I live in an extended family in a neighborhood. I'll get to you. Do you want to speak? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm not necessarily on that. But well, but look, can we deal with this first and then come? Yeah. Um, the, um, and as an extended family... Uh, we're always eating together at the table, and others are always a part of it. Now, let me tell you about that extended family. That extended family, my wife and I, my daughter, her husband, three kids, a single mom and her kids, divorced, uh, marriage broke down. Um, my oldest grandson, who's there, has autism. My, grand, my granddaughter has what's called PKU. My daughter's just come through two years of hell with cancer. Um, and we gather around the table, and we break bread, and we give thanks to God. Uh, now, when you're in the neighborhood, in the house of the other, when those questions come up, you see, it's okay. Uh, and, and, and I'm not primarily trying to answer those questions. I mean, I can. I can do all the apologetics that you want. What I'm saying is, out of our story, here are, the, here are the habits that shape us and give us life. And the neighbor from Manchester across the street who's an atheist can't help but look at that. And in the midst of that is conversation. But most of the conversation is around the table. So when I, when I hear somebody say to me, how can you have a God, how can you believe in that kind of God when life sucks like this? Part of my response, and it's only halfway there, is to say, come over for supper and sit around this table with these folk and enter the stories. Now let me say to you, what makes this table this table in the breaking of bread is the fact that Jesus Christ is in the midst of us and we are shaped by that story. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we live, eat, work, and play by leveraging the creativity and endurance of the inherited church. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressions.com backslash how to start. Season three is brought to you by FX Connect, an online community full of other church leaders passionate about reaching new people in new places. Access our entire library of practical and inspiring training materials and connect with other church leaders at fxconnectus.org. Season three of the Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by me, Heather Jalad. It's edited and produced by Jeanette Statz, Kathleen Blackie, and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you have learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. 
You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and salvation among all nations.